everybody to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick. And joining me for every episode is my co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. How's it going, man? It's going well. We're back to a, a little more chaos, at least more interest in the uh, the World Cup. And also uh, interesting, exciting developments in the MLR world. So really a lot going on. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about this episode. Um, yeah, from all the player resignings to, yeah, you know, England and Australia and Portugal and Fiji and oh my, some some interesting chaos there at the Rugby World Cup. Excited to talk about it. But let's start off right at the beginning here. Let's talk some old glory DC news as you hinted at there. Look, Old Glory DC is continuing to surprise me here with some of these player signings and re-signings. I guess maybe not surprising so much, but just kind of I'm, my interest is really getting peaked in this offseason here. But first things first, at the end of last week, we got to touch on this. Um, Old Glory DC announced the signing of Argentina 7th international Axel Muller. I believe I pronounced his name correctly. Let me know if I got that wrong. But AKP, I'm excited about this because this is another international wing, right? Again, in sevens. He's not capped by the Pumas in 15s, which is interesting because Axel has a U.S. passport. So he should be should be considered a domestic player, right, for, for Old Glory DC. But give me your thoughts on that signing. Yeah, so we'll get into the domestic situation in a, in a little bit. Um, he, yeah, after we had that, he's the second signing of a, a really experienced, you know, high end winger that we've had, you know, it's, um, he comes in with just a massive amount of experience in the, the top 14 in France. So, you know, one of the big leagues around the world, uh, I think it, it's well over a hundred caps for them he's 29 years old so still easily in his prime but coming over and that's that's, this is some really big news this is this is not a not a joke and in a lot of ways it's kind of surprising because it seems like he could still be on a, a much bigger contract overseas if he wanted to be certainly you know i can't imagine there isn't a pro d2 team that would pick him up or something like that but he has expressed a pretty strong interest in playing for the U.S. And that that news came out, you know, a year or two ago. I remember an article in America's Rugby News about making the case that he should be allowed to play for the U.S. because he is capped by Argentina. And I don't think the sevens versus fifteens thing matters unless you're there's an Olympic loophole for that. But it's it's a bit of a weird thing. I think ultimately the rules around when you're allowed to switch nationalities have gotten a bit weird, but basically it requires that you have a strong connection to the nation that you're switching to and you can switch once and he, and that you've not been capped for, I think it's three years. So he meets those requirements, but World Rugby has guidelines on what exactly counts as a strong connection to a different country, and it, it's mostly if you've got ancestry from that country or you lived there for a long time as a kid. And I think he sort of just doesn't 
doesn't quite meet you know i think it's something like if you lived in a country for 10 years as a as a child then you can you can claim that's a strong connection and he lived in the u.s for something like nine years or something it's 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 incredibly close there's an america's rugby news article outlining this and basically making the case that it would be it would be ridiculous not to let him play for the u.s if if he wants to so but I, as I understand it, he would have to apply for that, and he would have to get officially get his his nationality switched, sort of like um, uh, TT Lamasatelli got his his nationality switched mm-hmm. to Samoa, I think, ahead of the World Cup. The the the, the bottom line is, it's a pretty compelling case and it should not be rejected by world rugby for him to be considered you know so he can switch eligibility and run it potentially run out for the men's eagles and be considered domestic player in mlr like it should be an easy okay check the box moving on you you would hope so it's there's just enough reason for doubt that they might be real sticklers about it and i think that's why he's come over to MLR. I think it's a, a sort of showing of, of commitment to the U.S. Like, you know, I want to be in this country. I want to be here. I want to be playing in this country. This is a country that matters to me. Like, I, I think it's, I think that it's part of it, if I had to guess. And either way, incredibly exciting. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, incredibly said. And particularly if we can really, if you can get that domestic qualification. And look, if World Rugby really cares about tier two nations, then this should be an easy. This should be easy. Like this should not be controversial at all, considering some of the wacky stuff we've seen <laughs> over the last like twelve months. So, well, and if you've got if you've got someone like Lamisatelli playing like as much as he has for the U.S. and then suddenly switching over to Samoa at the end of his career, it's like. You've got to you've got to allow this. This the guy has lived for a long, spent has lived a lot of his life in the U.S. Clearly has a, a close connection to the country. Has expressed like his desire, a pretty strong desire to to play for the country. It you never know. But then again, you know when is a the smart, obvious, intelligent decision ever been a a guarantee with world rugby? Tell me how you really feel, like AP. Yeah, well, you heard you heard Paul Tate talk about the uh, the World League, <laughs> excellent rugby morning happy hour. I gotta have Paul back on again. Just ask him a question and just let him rip for fifteen minutes. Um, he could just go on and on, which is great. Um, but so fantastic news for Old Glory DC, very exciting. Then a couple of days later, earlier this week, Old Glory DC announced the re-signing of fly half slash fullback, capped USA Eagle Mike. Kabulis. Now, what I'm most excited about this is that, otherwise known as chicken, let's just say chicken because it's either easier to pronounce. Um, chicken's had a couple of injuries the last couple of years, right? I think, you know, I aggravated it, a knee injury, which I think was an ACL, right? So what this signifies to me is that Old Glory DC has enough confidence in Mike that his injury and the rehab is going well and that he can be strong and fit enough to come back and be an asset and hopefully an asset for this team once again, because chicken still, you know, good, young, exciting player, you know, born in New Jersey. got to love that. You know, everything that um, gets you excited about, you know, domestic rugby here in the U S but 
AKP, your thoughts on on bringing chicken back? Did you do a little chicken dance? <laughs> that was so bad. I did not. I'm not really a dancing person, but uh, but yeah, he, yeah, it's great to have him back. I mean, it's his career has been simultaneously exciting and frustrating because he, yeah. you know, has shown such promise and. 2021 particularly he was just such a live wire whether at fullback or he played fly half for a a couple of matches two or three and he he really impressed wherever he was he's just a an excellent attacking threat as a fly half he has some weaknesses around he's not a great distributor of the ball he's he's much more in the mold of of tito rather than grady uh, if that makes sense but he you know, he's just such a talented player and fast, one of the fastest players on the team. And that, but then the last couple of years, he's he's just been derailed by injury. He hasn't, he picked up an injury at the end of 2021 that really prevented him from playing or even practicing rugby for a long time. He came back in 2022, it's clear he was shaking off a bunch of rust. You know, he looked a little... Just like he, he didn't quite have confidence in what he was doing and how he was playing, and that that showed through. And it, it's always difficult coming back from a long injury. You the the skills they don't go away, but but you become less able to trust them. But then, just as he was starting to knock that rust off, injured again and out for a long time. So I think he's I think it could be tough for him at the beginning of the year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him come off the bench rather than start and struggle with some things. I think he'll he'll have some lapses just because he's it's it's not an easy thing to to build back up after you've been injured and hopefully he can you know come back from it. Hopefully he can he can recover from this and and refine his old form or improve on his old form. I think he's he's one of those promising players in the US and as we saw recently in the international tests the u.s could use a good fullback and a, a good young fullback and he he really is one of the the top options there and if i think he could he could have a great international career great career with with old glory if he can if he can get himself healthy again yeah i think i think you're what you're proposing is the right plan slowly bring him back build up the minutes get the confidence again you know, just the, you know, the speed of the game again. Um, all those things, confidence in his body. You know, and, and bring him along slowly but surely, because again, he can be such an asset that I'd rather have Mike. You know, playing fifteen, twenty minutes in February, March, and April, and then as Old Glory DC really making a push for the playoffs again. You know, playing a full eighty minutes come June. So. Um, you know, we'll see, but still exciting stuff um, for Roy DC to bring back um, a fan favorite in chicken. Moving on to other Major League Rugby news. I've got to bring this up because um, this just broke a couple of minutes ago, right before we started recording. But the U.S. Rugby Players Association, it's the union that represents the men's and women's Eagles, 15s and 7s. They're also trying to get uh, a group of major league rugby players together to form a players union. They have officially, I guess, revealed some information about how their election results are is going to take place. So there's going to be an election. It's going to be conducted by mail. So all the players are going to be 
receiving ballots. I think uh, they're going to be mailed out to the players uh, Monday, February third, Monday, February nineteenth, and then they have basically until I think uh, Thursday, March twenty eighth, to get the ballots in because that's when voting will start and they're going to count up the ballots. But AKP, after a few months of a couple of weeks of not sure what was going on with. Uh, the players union it seems like there's some definitive next steps here and the process leading to a vote where we may have an official mlr players union right during the start of the season what are are your thoughts on all this yeah it's it's interesting it's something that i've been sort of keeping an eye on and the complete lack of news i've just been wondering what's what's going to happen here and it's nice to now have a, a pretty clear answer of where this is all going. And obviously, I'm not a labor relations lawyer or anything like that, but I've been doing quite a bit of reading about how unions are recognized and how the the NLRB process works. And we've there was the the sort of first part of it is getting you know seeing if there's interest among the the employees at all so they had to you know get ballots together or get signatures to petition the NLRB that happened back at the end of the season they officially you know asked the NLRB to give them official recognition as the union for MLR players and then it was radio silence and the the second part of that process is a sort of negotiation that happens between the two parties between the employer and the potential union to hash out the details of when the election is going to happen, how it's going to happen, who gets to vote in it, you know, what campaign tactics are allowed. There's all sorts of, of details that go into that. And so the fact that it's in an, in a straightforward uh, union election that can be it can potentially not take that much time you know a a couple of weeks here it's taken months and so i think those details were were quite difficult to hash out and it makes sense and i think it explains the the timing because the election is slated to happen mid-february that's when they're going to send the ballots out and then they're due by sometime in march and that's that's really late when you think about it that's the start of the season but I think that's probably why, because you'll have players will actually be with their teams. You'll you'll know where to find them. You won't have to find a bunch of international addresses for players. And they'll also, you'll actually know who's on the team because they'll be either either at the, with the team or not with the team um, by that point. And so there won't be, you know, right now there's players who's, are they going to play next year or are they not? And you know, if you're not going to play next year, then are you really still employed and do you do you get a vote? So my guess is that the timing is a way to avoid all those issues and and make sure that the, the people voting are are the ones who, who need to be represented. Yeah, I think you I think you nailed it with the timing. You gotta know who who is playing in MLR so you can know who to send the ballots to and who's actually going to vote. And the other thing about it is my thought on this is that during the season, you saw a lot of players tweet out and support, you know, show messages on social media. I got to think the U.S. Rugby Players Association and all the players who are moving forward with this election probably feel pretty good that 
the election's going to go the way that they want it to, right? That they're going to unionize and form a players union, right? Because why go through the process of forming a union if you're not sure how the vote's going to go, right? Like it, the vote could fail. The players could say, no, nah, we don't want to do this. It's not in our interest. But it seems like it'd be like an extreme wasted effort by U.S. Rugby Players Association to, to do that if they knew that, hey, this doesn't look good for us. So I got to think, to be wrong here, I got to think they're moving forward knowing that they, they feel really good that they're going to get the votes that they need. And it sounds like, again, I'm not an expert on labor law either, but it sounds like in, in other readings of collective bargaining and other sports that for a simple majority, and I could have this terminology wrong, but it needs to be like 50% plus one, like one vote or something like that. It basically improves yeah. it. So you got to think the U.S. Rugby Players Association feels like they're going to get those votes lined up, but there's going to there's a lot that's going to take place between now in the start of the season, you know, messaging and response from Major League Rugby, messaging from yeah. the Players Association. So, you know, some people may say, hey, this is going to be a distraction, but we've talked about this uh, in the past. I feel like if fans and media and players and coaches and everything want to build a real strong foundation to really get the sport to where we want it to go, or MLR to get it to where we want it to go over the next 10 years, this is part of the process. And it's off the field, but it's not a distraction. We can do we can do difficult things at the same time. Like we're not simple-minded humans here. We can figure all this out. So, any further thoughts on that, AKP? Yeah, just to to say that, yeah, we're going to be in the campaign season now. Now that those details are out, both sides are going to be trying to make their point. Um, they're going to need. You're right about the 50%, but it's it's not just of the votes cast. It's 50% of the entire voting body. So if, if, you know, if a bunch of players just choose not to vote, that's essentially a vote against. Um, you know, it has to be at least half of the, the people who are eligible to vote. And then hopefully this will all get wrapped up by the end of next season. But there is going to be a, a period after the ballots have been counted all the ballots have been received and they've been counted where both sides will be able to challenge the results if there's any unfair competition or unfair uh, campaigning going on so if there's there's a lot of restrictions around the sorts of things that you're allowed to say especially as an employer there's there's restrictions around what you're allowed to say you're not allowed to threaten anyone's job if they vote for the union and that'll be a really interesting thing, given that it's the off-season, player contracts are up. You know, hopefully the MLR teams really behave themselves and they don't they don't step out of line. But if you see anything where a player maybe, you know, players who are pro-union are filtered out, that that would be a, the sort of thing that could get challenged after the ballots are taken in. And so this this process has the potential to drag on is is what i'm getting at so don't don't expect a quick resolution even at the beginning of the season excited to see how this all uh plays out and you know well the issues that are being brought up are around player health and safety and just you know employment steps and all that i mean the root of all this is is essentially money right there needs to be more money flowing into the sport so the players can pay more how do the players get paid more the salary cap has to increase how does the salary cap increase well Money flows in the sports, either in the form of sponsorship or merchandise and ticket sales, but really primarily it's through the media rights deals, right? Like you've seen it in other sports leagues, the NFL, NBA, all that. Those massive 
media rights deals are getting so big, it's causing the salary cap to increase. So, AKP, segue. Speaking of media rights, I saw this from uh, the Rugby Network. It sounds like, well, we, we know that uh, Premiership Rugby is going to be on TRN starting this weekend, week one, which is crazy. Sounds like uh, for the month of October, everyone who has a, an account on the Rugby Network can watch Premiership for free. But then after the month of October, when it flips to November, it sounds like TRN's moving to uh, to a paid sub, uh, subscription model, which I think makes sense. But AKP, what, what's what's the give us the four on one on all this? Yeah, so it sounds like I mean we've talked about in the past that eventually TRN was going to need to introduce a paid tier. They were gonna they need to get money somehow, and right now they're sort of floating it for free to get people interested. But yeah, Premiership after the end of October is going to cost. Six ninety nine a month, which seems pretty reasonable. I mean, honestly, that's what I pay for Peacock, I think, and and I really only use Peacock for for Premiership and currently the World Cup. And this is a, I think this is a pretty important step. This is a way for them to to bring in some revenue to support the platform. Hopefully, some of that money can go back into the pockets of MLR and. MLR, it doesn't look like we'll be behind the paywall and hopefully will not be behind the paywall for quite a while because we really need the the product to grow. We need people to get interested. We need to have it be available to them. But it's it's not unexpected and it doesn't seem unreasonable right now. Yeah, I think six ninety nine seems about right. Look, you brought Peacock. I like Peacock. I think Peacock's been a great platform. I think we've done a great job rugby world cup i mean they're still going to have the the olympics so um you know it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the right the the media rights deals work out for a lot of this rugby uh live action but you're right i think major league rugby needs to stay free uh on the platform if that means it needs to be subsidized by people paying to see premiership rugby and anything else then you know i think look we you're gonna to have to pay for 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 to watch some rugby, and I think that's just we understand that there are other networks out there whose names I will not mention who seem to have a much higher price point with less quality and some issues there. So if it's anything, even if it's anything better than that, I think rugby fans will be <laughs> in a good place. Um, but AKP, I want to move on because there's been a number of player news and signings and re-signings. I want to mention a few of them here. Uh, the Chicago Hounds have announced that they have signed former Ireland international wing Dave Carney. I believe his brother is also part of the ownership group in Chicago. But um, And they also signed former Seattle Seawolves flanker Ben Landry, who I thought was kind of retired, but I guess not. AKP, Chicago, getting lively there. Yeah. Yeah, they're really working to improve their depth, I guess. And although these are some big name signings, these are these are quite quite the names. I mean, Ben Landry, I think he has he's been with Seattle forever. Does he have two championship rings? Mm, yeah, I think so. I have to go back and look. But Dave Carney, I mean, Dave Carney, he's what a, a Leinster guy who had one hundred and fifty some, maybe more appearances there. He's thirty four, you know, so. He certainly, you feel like he's probably got a couple of years left, but 
but um, you know another big like international name attached to an MLR club. I think that's interesting and fun. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in in Chicago. Uh, moving on, um, Eastern Conference uh, opponent Nola Gold. They have re-signed center JP Duplassis. He is a great center. He's wrecked some havoc in the back lines of a number of Eastern Conference opponents. So he's re-signed, I think, actually through 2026. Um, yeah. So that's interesting to see. The Seattle Seawolves, they have signed a Namibian international wing fullback, Devon Rousseau, who uh, international rugby fans may recognize that name. He's, he had a spell in South Africa and super rugby. I watched some highlights of his. He did play in the three, three of the four matches for Namibia at the Rugby World Cup, but I watched some highlights of him, and he gets around the field pretty well. So that's a that's a big signing there for Seattle. Um, Western Conference, Houston Sabercats, they have re-signed. He's one of my favorite players, and it'd be interesting to see if he becomes you know eligible for U.S. But um, eight-man, Gideon Van Vyck, uh had a good season last year for Houston. He has re-signed. Um, fun young player, you know, maybe gets eligibility in the U.S. after another couple of years. We'll see. Um, and then I'm bringing this up here, the Miami Sharks, because USA International Greg Peterson uh, signed a short-term deal to play for Glasgow Warriors. He's going to kind of be like an injury recovery replacement guy um, as a couple of Scotland internationals come back to the Warriors. But I bring it up because Brian Rave, America's Rugby News, reported that there were links that Greg Peterson may play for the Miami Sharks in the 2024 MLR season. That would be a big get for Miami. I mean, literally big. I mean, the dude's massive. Yeah. it's a, He's been unattached for, for a few months now, hasn't he? Because he played for the Newcastle Falcons for, for years and then, and then left them and it's been sort of floating around. It's been, I think, expected that he would come back to MLR and um, sort of towards the tail end of his career. And yeah, Miami would be a good place for him, I guess. Yeah. And again, they need, they need some domestic players. Yeah. Um, so you know, they need players at be... all. They, they yeah. have like half a dozen players. They're getting there. I'm a little nervous about this Miami Sharks team. They've got some good players. Manuel Ardow, the Uruguayan flanker, had a phenomenal rugby world cup campaign he's gonna be playing for miami jacklin balls left and right so um we gotta look out for these miami sharks I mean, they're gonna be lurking in the water there it's a bad pun but i went for it um <laughs> so yeah and again there's been a number of other signings but i just wanted to bring those up i think the toronto Arrows have re-signed sean bowen uh travis larson i may have missed a couple of others there but toronto's kind of retooling still haven't announced a new head coach yet so we'll see what happens we'll see what happens there AKP, I want to jump over real quick. International news, USA Women's Eagles. They start their WXV2 campaign this weekend. They're hosting, they're not hosting, they're playing Samoa in South Africa. I believe that is a Saturday, 8.30 a.m. kickoff. And I think you can watch the matches for free on the Rugby Pass TV. Um, which split apart from the Rugby Network, I wasn't sure. There's, there's, there's a lot of... There's rumors of drama there. Yeah, uh, but flanker Georgie Paris Redding 
uh, will be out. She's going to miss the tournament. They have not announced an injury replacement there, but go support the women's Eagles. They start play on Saturday. Well, Mr. Chaos, you know, we had a last weekend, not so much chaos in the rugby world cup this past weekend. I think there was some, uh, some interesting chaos in the final matches of pool play. But AKP, before we get to recapping some of the action, I need to bring this up because I believe this is a Telegraph report and others have confirmed it, but it sounds like World Rugby is going to announce here pretty soon, officially, that the Rugby World Cup, the Men's Rugby World Cup is going to expand to 24 teams starting in 2027. Now the details are still a little murky, but it potentially it sounds like there would be another slot available uh, for the Americas. So you could potentially see USA, Canada, Spain, and then potentially Hong Kong. Those are like the four you know nations that seemingly are next in line to qualify. But I, I mean, a lot of this I think is powered by the fact that you know, we talked about this last episode, tier two nations really stepped up. I shouldn't say stepped up. They really performed well on the big stage. And I think it shows that while the gulf is still pretty wide between tier one and tier two, it's closing. And the reason why it's closing is because these tier two nations are getting better, but they need to be playing that better competition. They need to be playing more regularly against tier one nations. And I think this is a step in the right direction. We still may see some some big scores between some, some top yeah. tier one sides and some tier two sides. But um, your thoughts on on the Rugby World Cup expanding to 24 teams. Yeah, I mean, they've been talking about this forever. There's been signals that they that they were going to do this, certainly for the, the 2031 World Cup in the USA. Um, but there have been, there've been signals. So it's great that they're getting on it early, doing it in Australia. And I do think the performances by Tier 2 nations at the World Cup this year really strengthens that argument. Uh, the big issue is that they're not they're still planning on going ahead with their their world league nonsense which is just you know you've got you've had these great performances by tier two nations and then you know what do they want to do make sure that tier two nations never really get a chance to play tier one nations at all and it's just it's ridiculous it's one of those where i don't understand it either you could you could create a a world system, a world league where tier ones maybe mostly play tier one nations, but then also play tier two, and not just in a. The problem is right now, if it's not just not just in a, a a sort of either a friendly match where it doesn't really matter, and the tier one doesn't really take it seriously, or a um a relegation promotion relegation match because the the pressure is on there, and what you want is regular matches like that count, but don't count for absolutely everything all the time. And it it bothers me that they they can't the world rugby can't see that. Like twenty four team World Cup is a step in the right direction, but it's such a small step, and it seems seems like there's so much more that could be done. Yeah, there, there's so much that, more that can be done, and if we just look what happened in the final games of pool play at the World Cup. Portugal getting their very first Rugby World Cup win in an amazing match against Fiji. And all of the 
you know, the, res of, of the result of Portugal what, winning by one or two, whatever it was, uh, the, the margin of victory was small enough where Fiji was able to advance to the quarterfinals. Australia watching, thinking, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here. 60 minutes in the match thinking, oh my gosh, we have a chance here <laughs> of squeaking to the quarterfinals to finally not having that happen at the end. I mean, talk about the drama and the chaos. Like, like if that supports the fact that you know, more tier two, like the play of Chile and the play of Uruguay, like great matches, like the passion that, you know, Georgia playing well, right? Right. They're at that tier one, tier two cusp. It needs to be figured out here really soon. And yes, 24 teams for 2027 Rugby World Cup is amazing. Maybe, hey, maybe they need to take something out of the page of soccer here and all the teams have to qualify for the, their, you know, the, the tournament that everyone wants to win, so in the World Cup, right? So maybe that's something there, but you, there just got to be, I agree with you, there's got to be much. This World League needs to be tossed. I'm sorry. It hasn't happened yet. There's no reason, just because they're so far along, to push this through, given just the public clamoring for the fact that Tier 2 nations are there and they need more top-level action against Tier 1 teams. We've got to find a way to make this happen. And, man, it was exciting. And again, you know, I'll beat that drum all day long about tier two. And I think everyone is beating that drum all day long about tier two needs more action. Heck, here in the Americas, the America's Rugby Championship needs to come back. Here in our own neighborhood, the U.S. needs to be playing Chile and Uruguay and Argentina, even if it's just Argentina, the teams playing them more regularly, help bring Brazil up. They're seemingly on the cusp of things. I'm kind of ranting here with no real direction or ending here. So I'm just going to stop and toss it back to you, AKP on uh, kind of your thoughts on, on you know, tier two and maybe just kind of the final final round there at the, at the pool, pool play yeah. there at the World Cup. It was a great, after a somewhat disappointing weekend last weekend, it was, it was a really good, good week of rugby here. And I mean, you know, Japan, Argentina, excellent match, which I think, I think we were expecting that to be a really good match. There was just, just a lot of good rugby that happened and, competitive rugby and like you say stakes you know when argentina or sorry australia has never missed the uh the knockout stages of a world cup and and now they have and it, that's not good for australia fans but it it's progress and it's it's progress that that there are teams now there are more teams vying for a spot in the knockout stages who have you know, real reason to think that they they deserve a space in the knockout stages than can actually fit in the knockout stages, and I think it's I think that's cool. I think it's a cool place for the yeah. sport to be. I agree. So, AKP, let's let's talk about the quarterfinals this weekend. I'll run through the four real quick: Wales versus Argentina Saturday, eleven a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Then you have a. <laughs> I think the most exciting match on Saturday, Ireland versus New Zealand, Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. And then Sunday, your boys, England versus Fiji, Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Upset alert there. And then France versus South Africa on Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It sounds like French captain and scrum half Antoine Dupont may play in that match. But AKP. Actually, of those four, which one are you most looking forward to? <laughs> which one are you the most nervous about? I think I already know <laughs> your hits are the latter. <laughs> yeah. 
I think I think that France South Africa match is, is the one I'm most looking forward to. I think that'll be the the most interesting and exciting one to watch. And I think and obviously that that England Fiji match is is ugh, that could that could go that could go badly. It could go well too, but you just don't know with England. You just don't know what they're gonna do. You know, how much yeah. of this isn't of their how much of this is intentional and is uh, just pragmatism and how much of it is just they're not that good and they have not been caught yet. And I, I guess we'll find out. I think they could, they, there's, there's a very good chance that they could sleepwalk their way all the way to the finals, but <laughs> I don't know. I, they could also go out against Fiji and I, I just don't know. And, if you had to ask me the four winners in, in an ideal world, this is what happens. Argentina beats Wales to get to the semifinals. I think that would just be uh, a lot of fun and a return trip from Argentina. They've been there before. Ireland beats New Zealand. Ireland gets one step closer to getting to a rugby world cup. And the first time for them to get out of the quarterfinals, right? Yeah. Then you have, sorry, you have Fiji beat England simply because it'd be amazing for Fiji to get to the semifinals. I get and, it. I get it. No, no diss on England, but chaos and man, England has been boring the crap out of me here. Like they're not a fun time to watch. <laughs> and that's fine though. Like if you're going to win games, sometimes you can't play the most exciting style, and I and I totally get that. And that that's on brand for England rugby at the moment. But I'd love for Fiji to win. And then I agree with you. I think that France South Africa match, the host nation knocking out the defending champs would just be unbelievable, considering how unlucky France has been with key injuries, the fly up Natamac going out just weeks before the start of the World Cup, Antoine DuPont, hopefully he plays. If he were to return, I mean, I got to imagine France would just go bonkers if if France were to win that one. So there's a lot. There's a lot of fun storylines uh, for the quarterfinals. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens. I hope I can watch most of all of them when they happen. I might have to watch a couple of them on like a tape delay, depending on who sports this weekend. Uh, AKP, uh, are you? Is this the weekend where you're just sitting down, glued to the TV, or what's your deal? Well, I've got I've got plans on Saturday, so those matches I'm going to have to to watch after the fact. But but Sunday's free, so I'm planning on watching those those matches live. And we'll, we'll see. I'll get to suffer through England Fiji live, and then I'll get to enjoy. France, South Africa live. Can't wait. Uh, I'm excited for it. So, AKP, it's always the time of the episode when I surprise you with closing thoughts. So, closing thoughts for you is going to be a question. When Ireland beats New Zealand, <laughs> tell me why Ireland will win the Rugby World Cup. Ireland will win the Rugby World Cup because they have the the fatal combination of of two really key things they've got insane amounts of confidence in themselves and in the in their game and they have that uncanny ability to be just within the letter of the law as far as the referees see it and those two things can i mean that's how new york won the mlr shield not last year but the year before that and you know there's there's that's that's a combination that is that is deadly. Deadly. I'll follow up one more. 
England beats Fiji. How does England win the Rugby World Cup? England wins the World Cup by using the 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 fatal combination of of two things. One being insanely boring and pragmatic and two by their opponents just just uh exploding on them while they <laughs> just uh just falling apart and and mailing it in cuz they they don't expect anyone they they're, they're going to get through because no one will appreciate the uh the quality pragmatic rugby that they're playing you know that would be chaos and and that would be chaos if, if Fiji were to beat England but if also if England were to to beat Fiji go to the semis win there and then win <laughs> the rugby world cup that would just be pure chaos after the year that England rugby has had for them to win the rugby world cup would just be unbelievable yeah i mean honestly it feels like any of these teams winning at this point would be kind of a chaotic answer i mean wales that would be ridiculous argentina that'd be crazy Ireland, that would be that would be like the first time they've ever made it past the quarterfinals. New Zealand, less so, but they've been like talking about firing their coach for for like the last year and a half, and then oh, they won a World Cup. <laughs> you know, England look like trash, but somehow pull it out. That would be chaos. Fiji, you know, coming up out of nowhere. France as the hosts, in some ways, that would be the least chaotic, but also just a feel good story. And then I guess South Africa is probably the the least chaotic winner of this yeah so much so much to look forward to this weekend and i can't wait to watch it wherever you are around the country around the world i hope you get a chance to watch it we'll cover that and more next week as we talk about old glory dc and heck maybe they announce another player signing after we record and edit and release this podcast i'm almost counting on it so i can't wait to cover that uh, next week for my co-host Alistair Kirschpool I am John Fitzpatrick you've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast we'll catch you next week go Ireland go England go England